Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Psalm 118 falls in with a group of psalms uh, known as the Egyptian Hallel. Uh, It's spelled H-A-L-L-E-L. And it's a group of six psalms from Psalm 113 all the way through Psalm 118. And uh, the phrase hallelujah is always found at the end of many of these psalms. Praise the Lord. And that's the reason why they nickname it uh, the Hallel. Now, these psalms, uh, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, these are songs of thanksgiving. And the psalms, uh, they have a central theme around them, and it's basically thanking God for his deliverance, thanking God for uh, salvation. And these psalms were often used as an act of worship uh, during many of the uh, festivals and feasts that the uh, Hebrews would uh, celebrate, uh, most notably uh, about uh, uh, the uh, Passover. And they were, were recalling, basically, God's provision, how he took them out of Egypt, how he saved them from uh, Uh, Pharaoh took them out of bondage and how they were able to pass over uh, through the Red Sea and how God provided for them in the wilderness. And this is just a a group, a reflection of psalms uh, that were to be sung, to be remembered uh, about what God had done and the provision of uh, what uh, they had done. We also find that in these psalms, uh, most notably here in Psalm 118, uh, they talk about uh, the, the coming Messiah, the anticipation of the coming Messiah and how the Messiah would be the one that would deliver them and uh, would ultimately um, bring his kingdom uh, upon this earth. And so every Passover, um, there was this anticipation of, of the Messiah coming and they would sing these psalms in anticipation for uh, Messiah to come. It was an expectation for the final deliverance of God's people. And these songs were a, a major part of the Jewish life. It was a major part of their religious life, uh, what they did, how that they uh, would uh, worship God by singing these psalms of praise. And I believe that uh, we even find evidence of that in the New Testament as well, uh, because both Matthew and Mark record for us that as uh, Jesus ate the, uh, the Passover meal and after then he instituted the uh, Lord's Supper, it says that afterwards they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Uh, when I was a child, I remember being at uh, church service before and the uh, pastor making reference to that. He said, oh, they sang a hymn, and then they went out to Mount of Olives. So grab your hymn books, and let's turn to page 332, you know. And I don't think they had a hymn book like that, but they did have the Psalms. And I do believe that the Psalm, the hymn that Jesus sang with his disciples, uh, was those group of Psalms, uh, Psalm 113 through uh, 118. Perhaps in the future, uh, maybe we'll spend some time... um, in preparation when we're talking about uh, Passover and things like that, that uh, we can 
uh, read and go through some of those psalms in more detail. But I just want to give you a brief overview of some of those psalms, Psalms 113 through 118. I just kind of want you to see the, uh, the connection that all of them have and just kind of show you some of the high notes uh, that are in there, and then we'll focus our attention here on Psalm 118. But Psalm 113, it, it praises God for being so great, yet he's very concerned about helping the lowliest human being. Everyone is to praise God. He's to be praised everywhere. And why? Well, because he's greater than all of humanity and the entire universe, because he is so much greater, the psalm tells us, than us. Yet he knows each one of us so intimately. He knows everything about us. And he's concerned about us and loves us and wants to help even the poorest and lowliest among us. Israel, we get a picture of Israel in Psalm 113 as the barren woman who uh, God has delivered from the Egyptian bondage and given fruitfulness in a new land. God's redemptive work transforms fallen circumstances. And God breaks into the hurt and pain of life with new life. And he redeems what is lost. And the psalm opens and ends with that wonderful phrase, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Psalm 114 rehearses God's redemption of Israel from Egypt. He can rescue a nation enslaved to the most powerful nation on the earth. Part a sea and a river and miraculously provide water from a rock and feed uh, his people in the wilderness. What's awesome is that God acted in history to redeem his people. Israel is reminded that their situation is a direct result of God's gracious work and they are part of God's story with the whole earth. And we see a powerful and intimate side of God who not only created us, but is deeply and personally involved in our lives. And just knowing what he did in the lives of the Hebrews, will we not want to have and know the same God? And the earth is awed by what God is doing in Israel, and Israel is overwhelmed with praise to God. In Psalm 115, it praises God that salvation comes only from him, the true God, the living God, and not from the false gods of other religions. And this psalm is a constant reminder to his people that among all the nations, only Israel serves the true and living God, unlike all the other nations that worship idols and false gods. God reigns over the earth. God is the help and the shield of the people of God. God has remembered his people Israel and praises Yahweh. Israel remembers that God has always remembered his people and thus they are confident in their relationship with him. God is real and powerful and in control of everything. He does things for his own glory in his own time and for his own purpose and he is able to save all those that call out to him. Don't put your trust in anything or anyone except God. The psalmist concludes again, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Psalm 116 gives thanks for God's redemption, whereby he saves his people from death. As one psalmist remembers God's work for him in his individual life, 
The congregation of Israel remembers how God saved them from the bondage of slavery. At the Passover, Israel, as the psalmist says in Psalm 116, it says that he lifts up the cup of salvation and rejoiced in God's gift of life. Israel ate the thanksgiving offering as it sat at table with God and communed with God. And this is a great psalm to praise God because he is able to save us from the most desperate circumstances in life. We live in a very dark and dangerous world despite what people may be saying that the world is getting better and better and better, but it's actually getting worse and worse and worse as evil men are waxing worse and worse as what uh, Scripture tells us. But for those of us who know Christ, we have a very powerful ally, do we not? We can go to him for help in times of crisis. The psalmist gives us a great uh, stanza, and I love this. He says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. God is a God who loves us and is committed to helping us face life's dangerous and will even help us in our time of death. Is that not a God worthy to be praising? And thus the psalmist concludes again, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Psalm 117 is the shortest of these psalms. It only consists of two verses. This psalm praises God that salvation was designed to flow from the chosen people, the Jews, to the other nations of the world. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol Him, all you peoples. Why should Israel and the nations praise God? Because He loves humanity a lot. And He loves us so much that He stepped down into His own creation to prove that. For great is his love towards us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. The psalmist again concludes with the phrase, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Then we come to Psalm 118. This is the last of the Hallel Psalms. This psalm can be divided really into two parts. You find verses 1 through 18, the psalmist and other worshipers are on a pilgrimage. They're on their way to go and worship. And they're heading towards Jerusalem for one of the great feasts. And then verses 19 through 29, the worshipers have arrived at the temple where their worship continues with verse 19, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. And so it was a song of festive corporate worship. I mean, can you imagine the scene here as they're on their way into Jerusalem? They're singing this song of praise to God, and then they arrive at the gates. Open to us the gates of righteousness, uh, they declare, and they give thanks to the Lord. The psalm praises God for the ultimate salvation that comes to us through the Messiah. This psalm is messianic, meaning it talks about Christ. It talks about the Christ that was this to come, even before he was born on this earth. It's messianic in its meaning. And it gives specific reference and prophecy about Christ that can only be attributed to Christ. And really, isn't that what we should be focusing in on? Christ, 
knowing him, loving him, being transformed into his image. Jesus paid the price of our sins by taking God's wrath on our behalf. Only through Christ can we be made clean, forgiven, and restored. And this is where we will spend our time this morning in the next couple of weeks. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. I can thank God for salvation because I trust him alone for salvation. I can thank God for salvation because I trust him alone for salvation. So let's take notice here of a few things, uh, verses here in our text. Psalm 118, verses 1 through 4. First of all, I'd like you to see is you need to be thanking God for who he is. The Bible says here, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. You see, since these psalms are reflective on God's redemption, and even though we are not in bondage to some powerful nation, we are not enslaved to some powerful nation, every human being is born into sin. Every single one of us was born into sin. Every child that ever comes into this world will be born into sin. And we are enslaved to sin and under bondage to a very powerful master. But through the gospel, all those that come to Christ, the Bible tells us, those that come to Christ alone, through faith alone, are redeemed and set free. We too can give thanks to God for our salvation. We should frequently recall our salvation in Christ, remember who Christ is and what he has done for us. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up out from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You see, there is no one like our God. None. In fact, God himself even says, I don't know of any other God besides me. None. None whatsoever. He alone is sufficient for salvation. We should trust him and him only. His character is like no other. Thank God for who he is. He does not change, nor will he ever change. Notice the opening lines of this song of thanksgiving. Give thanks. In fact, if you notice in your Bible, both the opening and closing verses of the psalm are identical in what it says and state the theme, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. And that's exactly how the psalm ends as well in verse 29. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Think about that. Give thanks to God for who he is. He is good. Not only does God do good things, 
But the very nature and character of God is that He is good. He is good. I love what Jesus has to say about the goodness of man. In fact, He says, You, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your heavenly Father give to you? Our Father is always good. Always good. The Bible tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that is good, but God is good. He is always good. Look at this, what it also says. It says also that his steadfast love endures forever. Now count up how many times that he says that. He says, for his steadfast love endures forever. 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 And then there's another one more time in verse 29 that his steadfast love endures forever. Five times we're reminded of how much God's steadfast love endures. Is there any doubt whatsoever about his love towards us? There should not be. Because it always endures and it endures forever. What's interesting in this group, uh, in this psalm here, is the groups of people that the psalmist here calls on to repeat that truth. Because he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then notice the groups of people. Do you see them here? Look what he says, first of all, let Israel say. Israel is a call to the nation as a whole. He's calling to the nation as a whole, and he's saying, Say it, repeat it. Say it again, that his steadfast love endures forever. And then secondly, let the house of Aaron say it. He calls to the priest, those who served at the temple that praised God for his everlasting love. He says, say it, say it again. Then thirdly, let those who fear the Lord say. This brings it on the personal level on those whose religion was not merely cultural as the Jews were, nor ritualistic or routine like the priests were, but real and personal. It gets down to our level now. You say it. That his steadfast love endures forever. You see, these groups encompass all of us. In other words, all of us need to be stirred up and to be giving thanks to God for his steadfast love. We need to be giving thanks for his goodness towards us in our lives. And not only when he is good to us, but also because he is good and his loving kindness is everlasting. You see, even when we go through difficult trials, as we'll look at here in the following verses, in verses 5 through 13, the Lord is good. And his loving kindness is everlasting. His very nature is good, and he is especially good to his covenant people who fear him. As Paul states in Romans 8, verses 35 through 39, there's absolutely nothing, including tribulation, persecution, or even death, which can ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's interesting is how much this psalm applies to salvation. The word salvation occurs, uh, we find in verse uh, 14, verse 15, verse 21, and also in the word save in verse number 25. You see, when the enemy 
is attacking you and about to overcome you, you need God to save you. Now think about that. Think of that as your spiritual picture of your spiritual condition. Because of our sin, we are all children of wrath, as what Ephesians 2.3 says. We're under God's condemnation, as what John 3.36 says. And we are one heartbeat away from judgment and eternal punishments. What hope do we have? We need to be rescued. Salvation, then, is a rescue. Jesus rescues us. He saves us. It is us being rescued from God's judgment. This is the greatest need of every single human being that is ever born into this world. To be saved. To be rescued. Now for us in here that have trusted in Jesus, this is a call to us to recall our salvation and thank God for his salvation in our lives. But to any of you that are in here that do not know Christ, you've never repented of your sin and turned to faith in Christ alone, this is your greatest need to turn to Jesus, to be saved from your sins, to be saved from the judgment of God. You see, Jesus took your judgment. Jesus took God's wrath for you so that you could be saved. And so it's a call for you to turn to Christ, to cast yourself on him, knowing that there's no other way. There's no other God except Jesus and to turn to him. What a loving and gracious God that we serve that he would provide Jesus for us for salvation. And should this not become our continual song then? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for my salvation. Thank the Lord for, for Jesus who saved me and rescued me. Give thanks to the Lord because he has been good to me in my life. His loving kindness endures forever and ever and ever. Here's the second thing. Thank God for what he has done and is doing. In hard times, who do you trust? Who do we trust? What do you trust in? You see, this psalm is a constant reminder that we should only trust God. Only trust God. We can thank God for how he has worked in our lives and the times that we trusted him and how he has proven himself to be faithful over and over and over and over and over and over and over again many times. Listen to what the psalmist says here. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph to those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. In these verses here, this is a personal testimony of how God worked in the psalmist's life. When you think about it, it's interesting how the psalm starts. It addresses the nation of Israel as a whole. Then it gets smaller to the priests. Then it gets to those who, who, who fear the Lord. 
And it, it addresses everybody. It's talking about everybody. But then we get an inside picture of this one man's life and how God miraculously worked in his own individual life. And when you think about it, isn't that how we see the church today? God speaks to his church through the word of God. God uses pastors and teachers to give us the word of God. But then it gets very personal to us, doesn't it? Individualistically, it comes and it speaks to us. The word of God deals with us on an individual basis. And all of this should be a great song of praise to be sung to God. This is why it's so important for us as believers to be sharing in each other's lives. You see, we come here to co collectively as a whole, and we hear the word of God, but how is God's word at work in your life personally, individually? And are you sharing that song of praise with others in your life. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to share that. That's what this psalmist is doing. He's sharing these, these things that have happened in his own life and this praise that he gives to God, that he trusts God alone for the times of difficulty in his life. I would venture to guess that all of us here have found comfort, joy, and praise from reading the Psalms in times of distress. Their words seem to resonate with us, don't they? They speak to our innermost being. Why is that? Because it's personal. There's sincerity and truth in what they say. There's no hypocrisy in their stories. I encourage you as a believer in Christ to get to know one another outside of these four walls. Invite others into your home. Allow the praises of God to be declared with one another. Find, find strength and find encouragement from what God is doing in your life and what they're doing in somebody else's life. And share that with other individuals. how God has changed you in the trials that you face and how your faith has been challenged and strengthened. Let your life be a song of praise to God. Now take a look at these verses here, these words of hardship and distress, because look what the psalmist says, out of my distress. The psalmist reveals that he's in distress. This word carries the idea of being in a very tight situation. You can't get out of it. It brings on severe anxiety and sorrow or pain. And he says, in my distress, in this tight spot that I found myself in, he did what? He says, I called on the Lord. Look what he says here in verse 7. It says that his enemies hate him. What could man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. But it's not just an individual or a small group that's after him. Because later on in verses 10 through 13, we read that all nations surrounded him in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. He says, they surrounded me, surrounded me on every side in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. 
They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. You know, one thing I'm really grateful for when winter comes, there's no more of those flying insects. Aren't those things just annoying? I mean, I go out there with two cans of stuff to spray these suckers. I mean, they're everywhere. I'm so thankful when that cold winter moves in, it's like, see ya, bye. Think of this psalmist. It says that he's surrounded and they're swarming him like bees coming after him. Is that distress? Is that a hardship? Absolutely. And he says, I'm not going to put my trust in anything or anyone except who? The Lord. We find in verse 13, it says that they pushed him violently so that he was on the verge of falling. And in such conditions, it's no wonder why he says, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. You see, there are some lessons that we can learn from all of this, is what the psalmist is saying, that helps us know and remember that God should be our trust and trust alone not in anything else. Here they are. Number one, thank God for the trials in your life that teach you to trust Him through prayer. In verse 5, the psalmist says, I called. That's prayer. He says, in my distress, I called out to the Lord. And what did God do? The Lord answered me and set me free. You see, we pray most fervently when we go through severe trials because it is then that we see how great our need really is. There's nothing else that can help, and we call out to God for help. When things are going relatively smooth, we should also pray. But I know that my prayers become much more focused. They become more intense when I'm facing a difficult trial or circumstance in my life. And that's where this psalmist finds himself. I called out to the Lord. The psalmist refers to God as his refuge in verses 8 and 9. He says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. We find that it's his help in verse 13. It's his strength and salvation in verse number 14. And he knew that if God did not come through, he was doomed. The great thing is that God always has and always will come through. Always. He will never leave his children begging for bread. He's our father. He cares about us. He loves us. He provides for us. It may not be on our timetable or how we expect it to work out, but God will always accomplish His purpose and His plan for our lives. And in the most difficult situation, the psalmist prayed, and so should we. Secondly, thank God for what He has done because it teaches you to trust Him more. When fierce trials hit, the enemy always tries us to get us to doubt the goodness of God. Right? We just sang that song. You know, I will sing of the goodness of God. You have been faithful, right? I mean, just a reminder. One of the things that you should really do is you should maybe think about getting a journal together and write down the things that God has done in your life. 
I have a box in my office that says, think outside of the box. And in that box, I keep all kinds of letters, cards that I have received from you. And when I have hard times, when I have difficult times, I pull those out and it reminds me of what God is doing in my life. And I encourage you to get something together that you can recall God's goodness, that you can recall God's faithfulness, that you can recall what God is doing in your life. And write those things down. Notice what the psalmist says here. He says, if he is good, this is what, this is what happens sometimes when these trials hit. The, the, the evil one says to us, he says, well, if he's good and if he loves you, why is he permitting that trial? But the psalmist here affirms, verse 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. Again, he repeats it as if it's to assure himself of it. In verse 7, the Lord is on my side. Now, of course, evil men can cause a lot of emotional and physical pain, including death, but the point is they cannot do anything that is ultimately harmful to us because they cannot take away God's salvation. The Lord is on your side. As Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Paul states it wonderfully in Romans 8, 31 and verse 32. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Isn't it great to know that the Lord is on your side? You see, if you know Christ, he is on your side. The more that we trust him in times of distress, the more that we learn that he really does care for us and does fight for us. And this psalm is a song of praise to God for the Lord fighting for him and being on his side and that he can trust him and trust him alone. Thirdly, thank God for his deliverance in your life and share your story with others. The psalmist cries out to the Lord and trusts in the Lord alone to save him from his difficult situation. He specifically states that he was not trusting in man. Get that. Look at verse number 8 again. He says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Man is deceiving. Jesus himself, it tells us in the Gospels, it says that he did not entrust himself to any man because he knew what was in man. We do not trust men. Don't trust me. I've often thought about we should get a uh, spiritual surgeon general's warning label on the back there, you know, that you are responsible to search out the scriptures for yourself and find out what scripture does say. But do not trust man. He says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. What is that? Boy, those are the leaders. Do not trust the leaders. National leaders, government leaders, do not trust the leaders. You put your trust in the Lord. What's interesting about this man's story is that he had 
things and people that he could have put their trust in. Because look what he says here. He says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. I believe that this man had resources that were probably at his disposal that he could have used to help him out of this situation, but he didn't use them. He trusted in God and God alone. Mark it down. God will always use situations to get your attention in life. In this man's life, it was distress. It was difficulty. What is God using in your life to get your attention? Health issues? Financial difficulties? A marital family hardship? Some personal crisis? You see, God will use distress and difficulties to show you your greatest need. You know what your greatest need really is? It's not to get out of the problem. Your greatest need is to turn to the Lord and to trust Him. For those of you that do not know Christ, God uses situations and He is using situations in your life to draw you unto Himself. And your greatest need is to turn to Him and trust him alone for salvation. And so if you're here today without Christ, if you, don't, if you don't have a relationship with the Father, you need to be saved. And to do that, you must see that you are a sinner, that you're guilty before God. And he sent his own son to bear the penalty for sin that you deserve. And you must see that he offers forgiveness for your sins and eternal life when you trust in Christ alone. As Paul put it in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Is your trust in God alone? Is this a praise that you can actually say to God and declare it? I encourage you, if you're a believer in Christ, to share your times of difficulty with others. That's what this psalmist was doing. We have his words. These are eternal, preserved words for us to listen to and to heed. And so I encourage you to share your story of what God has done and is doing in your life and how you've trusted in him and him alone for what he's been doing in your life. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.